right. We are in. We'll start in Revelation 21. What is it about Revelation 21 that we love? There's no more sin. That's verse 8. We didn't get to read verse 8. There's no curse. Everything that's defiling this earth that it makes life hard is gone. Never to be brought up again. The last two chapters of the Bible and the first two chapters of the Bible are bookends to give us the theme of Scripture, I believe, is the glory of God. Some would say the theme of Scripture is salvation or redemption, but uh, what, what about the first uh, two chapters and the last two which just talk about our glorious God? It broadens, I think, our view of which salvation is a glorious part of what God is doing. But his desire in the first two chapters of the Bible is that he would create man in his image so that he could walk with him and talk with him. That man and God were the distinct, man being the distinct part of creation that wanted, desired, and loved a relationship with their creator. Animals don't desire or even think about their creator. They think about food, survival, sleep, comfort. That's it. That's all they think about. But we're here gathered as God's people because we have a desire to worship our creator and our savior. In Revelation 21, sin is no more, and we have a picture of the new heaven. And if you go with me to verse uh, 3, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with men. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. God with us is the hope of the Christmas story, Emmanuel, which means God with us. God knew that we needed him. And so he came. We're going to look today at, uh, go with me now to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, and we'll be there uh, for the rest of our uh, time together. But we are in God's holy family. Those of us in New England and the Methuen area know holy family as a hospital. When I had a kidney stone, that's the hospital I went to in the middle of the night and uh, have not so great of uh, feelings toward that hospital, although I'm very thankful. Uh, this doesn't bring uh, good feelings uh, to me uh, personally. And if you've ever spent time in a hospital, uh, you're thankful for the hospital, but don't want to repeat that uh, experience. Holy Family is not a hospital uh, for us in this text of Scripture. It is who we are. We are part of God's holy family. And we have seen in 2 Corinthians so far that we are ambassadors. We have access to see the glory of God and be changed by that glory. And now we see that, uh, and we, last week we saw that we are the temple of the living God. And uh, part of uh, that explanation is that we are God's family. So we are the temple of the living God, as God has said, and we're in verse 16 of 2 Corinthians 6. I believe it's page 1148 on the Pew Bible, if you 
We uh, love God's word here, and we uh, know that it is going to transform us. We don't transform. We aren't transformed by me or by any other teacher. Uh, we are only transformed by God's word. So we look at God's word without apology. Uh, every service, as much as we can get of God's word. So, God says to us, "With the temple of the living God, as God has said, I will make my dwelling among them, and I will walk among them, and I will be their God." And they shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. So we have promises. Last week we had questions, five questions from verses uh, 14 to 16. And now we have uh, promises. And if you see in your Bible, as you're reading through the New Testament, an indent, uh, like it's in my Bible, that indent usually is a quote from the Old Testament. And so if you have cross-references or little letters and you have a cross-reference, you'll see many, many cross-references. And we can't look at all of them today because we would take up all of our time just... Uh, looking up cross-reference after cross-reference of the Old Testament. We have themes from the Old Testament that Paul brings uh, throughout many places. I'll give you the references, and you can see the, the wide variety of places in the Old Testament where he's quoting from. But he has this progression today that are God's promises. When you think of holiness, what comes to your mind? Many people think that holiness is something that is dull, boring. Like we're going to go sit in a monastery somewhere and we're just going to chant or read or pray all day every day. And that's what a holy life looks like. Well, C.S. Lewis, who writes the Chronicles of Narnia that you probably know, has uh, written in several other um, books and one of his quotes here, how little people know who think that holiness is dull. When one meets the real thing, a holy Christian, it is irresistible. When you meet someone who is really holy and holy for the right reason, your desire will be to get to know that person and, and figure out why are they living this way. And you'll find that their life is not dull and boring. It's one of the most exciting lives ever. Have you ever read a missionary biography? where someone goes to another country and lives like uh, as best they can with that culture, uh, eating foods that they did not grow up with, wearing garments that they didn't, getting used to customs that are, are, are bizarre. Um, and they live their whole life, and at, in the middle of the night they get calls uh, to come and, and pray because there's demon-possessed people, or if they're a medical missionary, there are all kinds of exciting things that happen. Uh, on, the, on the medical side of medical missions, and you think, that life is not, it is holy, but is not dull or boring. So it is with the Christian, who is living as an ambassador, with God's truth flowing through them to a lost world who desperately need God. And God will bring you people, if you are an ambassador, God will bring people to you almost on a daily basis. 
if your life is holy. Because God can use your life when it's holy. And so our bodies, these physical bodies, are to represent our holy God. And this passage, as many other passages that Paul's going to refer to, give us these uh, promises that are leading us in one direction, that we have these bodies for a reason, to represent our holy God in a very unholy world. And when we live holy lives, as C.S. Lewis says here, our lives to the world will be irresistible. Now, they may not like us, okay? They may hate us as they have hated all Christians who lived holy lives, but they cannot deny that we are representing a holy God to them, a God who that they hate, and they hate his servants as Jesus promised that they would. But as we gather as God's people, we gather as his people to be reminded of his truth that we are to be holy. The holiness of God and the fear of God in broader evangelicalism and Christianity are things that aren't popular. They aren't things that we train our young people and youth group and children's ministry is all about holiness and fearing God. And yet, these are huge themes of who God is. He is holy. And fearing God is mentioned more in the Bible, Old and New Testament, than loving God or trusting Him. God, and we'll see that in this passage as well. This is New Testament, that we are to still be holy and still to be fearing God. So these promises of God, as we look at a summary of last week, do these partners make sense? We don't strive, and this is a summary of verses 14 to 16. And if you missed last week, it's recorded, it's on YouTube, and you can uh, hear the whole message, but this is the summary statements of, of last week. There's no comparison. There's, these partnerships do not make sense, and we looked at those last week in detail. And then the application from last week, uh, no unequal yoke should affect who you date and marry. No unequal yoke should affect with whom you minister and worship. No unequal yoke should affect how you are daily satisfied with Christ, and then it should affect how we hope for our inheritance in Christ. So that was all last week's message. And now this week's message from verses 16 to 7-1. Do God's promises motivate? If I told my children... Hey, I'm coming home at 7 p.m. Going out on a date with my wife, uh, your mom. And I'm coming home at 7 p.m. And if your room is clean and you do these lists of chores, I will give you some candy. I'll take you out for breakfast, some, some good reward. Do you think that my children would be motivated by that promise? If they had seen that I have fulfilled other promises that I've given to them. Yes. God has a lot of promises in Scripture. There are promised books that people have taken all of the promises of Scripture and put them in and compiled them into one, one volume. And here we have a lot of promises. Notice the I will statements in verses 16. I will make my dwelling with them and walk among them. I will be their God. Therefore, live this way, verse 17, and I will welcome you. And verse 18, I will be a father to you. 
So there is some I will statements and there's a you shall statements uh, in these uh, based on the, the promises of God. But these promises progress. These promises of God progress as we see the progression in the, in the uh, whole of Scripture that God promises to dwell with and walk among his people. So if God is here, and I expect that you want to worship God and expect God to meet with us here, that we are his people and we are gathered around his word and we're expecting God to dwell here and walk among us. Now, this is, we are the temple, right? So uh, we expect God personally to be with us individually this week and to walk among us. These promises of dwelling and walking among us, let's go back, hold your hand here. We saw them in Revelation 21. It's also in Revelation 2, 1. But let's go back to Leviticus 26. Leviticus is one of those books of the Bible that as you read it, you're like, I don't know what this has anything to do with life today. It has a lot to do about life today. And the theme of Leviticus, which partially might be why it's not popular, is the theme is holiness. And we don't like to think about holiness, and we think, ah, that's Old Testament. Uh, holiness is, is cross-testamental. It is a timeless truth of God. And Paul mentions uh, this theme, or that he quotes Leviticus 26. If you look with me, 26.11. So uh, Leviticus 26 and verse 11. There's a lot of I will statements. These are the blessings for obedience. You can see the title there, the theme for this section of Scripture uh, in Leviticus 26. But he says, uh, God says through Moses to the children of Israel, verse 11, I will make my dwelling among them, and my soul shall not abhor you. And I will walk among you, and I will be your God, and you shall be my people. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, that you should not be there, that's Egyptian, slaves, I have broken the bars of your yoke and made you walk erect. So they were bent over with uh, captivity and poverty and uh, slavery. And when their bars of slavery are broken, now that they're, they're free to stand up and live as free people. And God says, I did this for you. And here is my plan. I'm going to dwell with you. I'm going to walk among you. Now, visibly, the Israelites could see. How could they see that God was with them in the Old Testament? Well, the first 40 years of after, after their captivity, they saw the presence of God as a fire at night, a huge pillar of fire in the middle of their camp. And they were supposed to probably tent around this fire. So as you open the tent door of uh, the flap of your tent, The first thing that every child, every adult would see is the glory of God. That you are, and you're realizing, we are safe as God's people. There are Canaanites that are going to attack, the Amalekites are attacking them. Uh, They're going to inhabit um, the, the land of the Amorites and other places. And the Israelites are learning for the first 40 years after captivity is God is with us. And God promised he would be with them. And what this is motivating them, it says here, this is a blessing for obedience. And if they have this in their thinking that we delivered ourselves from Egypt, they're fooling themselves. 
So the way the Old Testament it points back to uh, delivery from Egypt is the, is the way the New Testament points back to the cross. So the Old Testament looks back to delivery from slavery. And that final delivery was accomplished at the Red Sea. And God was with them. He walked among them. In Exodus 19, at the, before he gives the Ten Commandments, he said, I delivered you from Egypt and I brought you to myself. They're in the middle of nowhere in the Arabian desert with a mountain before them. There's no water for them to drink. And God says, I brought you here and I brought you to myself. And I want you to be holy as I am holy. And he gives them the whole book of Leviticus about the holiness. And he, and he expects them to listen to him. Exodus 29 refers to God dwelling and walking among his people as well. And you'll see dwelling and walking among them was clearly there in Leviticus 26. So back to 2 Corinthians. And you'll see, as God has said in the Old Testament, timeless truth that was not just for Israel now in the New Testament, these promises are brought into the Corinthian church who are mainly Gentiles. Like we in our congregation is mainly Gentile believers and we can claim these promises of God and that God is making his dwelling among us and God is walking among us. And why is he doing that? He gives us the second thing. And I will be their God. He doesn't just come to see what we're doing and to eventually judge us. He comes and he chooses us out of the world to dwell and to walk among us as his people for this purpose, to be our God. What does a God do? A God provides and protects and satisfies, as we have seen uh, last week with what Christ does. He is our portion. He is our strength. And you can read all of the Psalms and how that people, when they were, when they were worshiping God, how they talked to him. And God provides blessing and God provides forgiveness of, of all iniquity and transgression and sin. And God is with us. So God is dwelling among these people. And he's dwelling among the Corinthians. He's dwelling among those at Grace Bible Church in Dracut in 2022. He's walking among us. Like as we have fellowship time. And if you don't have someone to talk to at fellowship time, walk around and eventually you'll find someone to talk to. And God walks around and observes. And he observes this. Who wants me to be their God? And God says, I'll be their God. We saw that already in Leviticus 26. But Exodus 6, 7, as, Paul, or as uh, Moses is talking to the leaders of Israel after he uh, after Pharaoh didn't listen to let the people go on the first attempt, he meets with the children of Israel leaders and tells them that God wants to be our God and he wants us to be his people. I will be their God and they will be my people. This is why God wants to dwell among us. This is why he wants to walk among us. Not just as a peer. Not just as a genie in a bottle that we get whatever we pray for. This isn't why he's among us. He's among us as our authority, as a very good authority. 
as we see at the end of this in verse 18, he is the Lord Almighty. He is the sovereign God. And we are under him. And we are under him smiling. We are enjoying being under him. If you can imagine the Israelites in captivity in Israel or in Egypt, they weren't smiling every day they got off of work. Their backs were sore, if not bleeding. It was always a bad day. And yet, whenever God is dwelling among us and we are, he's walking among us and he is our God and we are his people, in his presence there is fullness of joy. At his right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. And we're not spared all of the financial and physical and emotional and social difficulties that are around us. And we are not spared the temptation that's within us and around us. But these wonderful promises is God is here. And if these bodies, these physical bodies are the temple, then God dwells in us. And he is our God, and whatever he says goes. And if there are things in our life that don't please him, as we've seen in 2 Corinthians 5, we would do whatever pleases God. Why? Because he's our God. This is how we show everybody that we are following Christ. Whatever Jesus says, it goes. Whatever we want to do, I don't know. Let's see what Jesus says. If it's not here, it's not approved, then it doesn't go. It doesn't, we can't justify it. And holiness is, is what's at stake here in representing God on the earth as ambassadors. Holy. So verse 16 ends with, I will be their God and they shall be my people. Let's go to uh, Ezekiel. Ezekiel's not a, a common book in the Old Testament, but it's got 48 chapters. So there's a lot of truth in Ezekiel. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, before Daniel and Hosea, if you are looking for Ezekiel. If you want to listen, just listen, that's fine too. Ezekiel chapter 11. Several times in Jeremiah and Ezekiel, God promises, if, if God expects obedience, and Israel tried and tried and tried and tried and tried, and they kept disobeying, they're going to throw up their hands and frustrate and say, I can't obey God. I tried. I tried offering the sacrifices, I tried going through the priests, I tried this and that, I tried everything, of what, and I still keep sinning, I still keep disobeying God. What's the solution? And Jeremiah and Ezekiel are known in their books for judgment of God, but there are a few really bright spots in these books, and this is one of them. In Ezekiel 11, God promises that he will put a new heart and a new spirit in his people. So you'll see the I wills. I will, verse 17, therefore uh, say, thus says the Lord God, I will gather you from the peoples and assemble you out of the countries where you have been scattered. Now this is close to a thousand years after uh, Exodus, after the Exodus, after the conquering of the promised land. A thousand years later, Israel has disobeyed. They've gone into captivity and they've been scattered throughout all of the uh, Greek and uh, the other empires that have uh, the Babylonian and the Medes and Persians, they've been scattered. And God promises them here, I will, I will bring you back. Verse 18. Then, and when they come there, they will remove from it all its detestable things and all its abominations. Because if you're not worshiping God 
and they bring in all these other uh, people from other countries to inhabit Israel and Jerusalem, they're going to bring with them all their idols, and they're going to have little temples and high places and altars that God is not pleased with, that the Israelites had to cleanse multiple times in the book of Judges and then after um, from, from the land. And yet all these idolatry has come back in, the, in, in Israel. And God says, you're going to remove all its detestable things and all its abominations. Verse 19, and I will give them one heart and a new spirit I will put within them. And I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh. So a heart of stone is just a hard heart. And a heart that doesn't want to listen to God wants to do its own way. All of us are born with a heart of stone. And when we, are, when we trust Christ, we're born again. God removes that heart of stone, gives us a heart of flesh, a heart that wants to listen to God, wants to please Him, wants someone telling us what to do, wants God to be our God, and we are content to be His people because He's rescued us from our sin, given us eternal life and a, fa and a family. Verse uh, 19 Continues, I'll remove the heart of stone, give them a heart of flesh. Verse 20, that they may walk in my statutes and keep my rules and obey them, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God. Verse 21, but as for those whose heart goes after their detestable things and their abominations, I will bring their deeds upon their own heads, declares the Lord God. So Jeremiah 31 talks about the new heart, and here in Ezekiel 11 also talks about the new heart. Hold your hand still in 2 Corinthians and go to Ezekiel chapter uh, 20. So a couple pages over, Ezekiel chapter 20, and we'll see there the next uh, letter C, that these promises are conditional. What is, the, what is the condition, and we'll look at the cross-reference here, and then we'll go to the text in 2 Corinthians again. God says, I will welcome you if... If you are distinct from the world, if you are holy, and there are a lot of Christians out there, a lot of, of uh, churches that probably teach, God will welcome you if you're holy or not. It does not matter. What? This is not biblical. True Christianity requires God living and dwelling among us individually and corporately here as his church, as we gather, as his people and God is our God, and we individually are His people. And God will welcome us as more than just God and people. We're going to see the last point is God will welcome us as His family. But there's a condition here, and it's pretty clear in 2 Corinthians, and it's clear from the Old Testament as well. We have to be distinct from the world. And this often for people is too high of a price to pay. They don't want to be distinct from the world. They don't want to be laughed and ridiculed. They don't want to be ambassadors for Christ. They don't want to please God. They don't want to see the glory of God and see themselves as falling short of that glory. They're content with just a little bit of God here or there. I'll just go to church once a week and I'll be all set. That's not Christianity. God says, I'll welcome you if you're distinct from the world. And what we saw in Ezekiel 11, if you're not distinct from the world, you want to hold on to your idols, guess what? God's going to judge you. You're not going to enjoy his presence. You're not going to be, you can't say, and you're, you're fooling yourself to say, God's my God and I'm his, I'm his child, I'm his people. No, 
because you're not willing to obey what he says. In Ezekiel 20, and verses 33 to 44. Verse 33 of Ezekiel 20. Israel is continuing to rebel. You see that up above uh, 20, Ezekiel 20, verse 1. And God promises the Lord to restore Israel. In verse 33, As I live, declares the Lord God, surely with a mighty hand, with an outstretched arm, with wrath poured out, I will be king over you. I will bring you out from the peoples and gather you out of the countries where you were scattered. Again, what he said similarly to um, uh, verse, uh, chapter 11. Um, continuing in verse 34, uh, where you were scattered with a mighty hand, with an outstretched arm, and with wrath poured out. So you'll see my wrath poured out on those who are oppressing you in other countries. I'll bring you back here in verse 35. And I will bring you into the wilderness of the peoples, and I will enter into judgment with you face to face. As I entered into judgment with your fathers in the wilderness of the land of Egypt, so I will enter into judgment with you, declares the Lord God. I will make you pass under the rod, and I will bring you into the bond of a covenant. So he gave Israel promised, uh, promises of blessing. He said, I've got a land for you. Uh, but if you won't listen to me, you won't obey me, you keep complaining against me, I'm not going to be, there's not unconditional promises. You have to obey what I say, and you have to follow Moses and the leadership structure, and they wouldn't do it. So he says, okay, you're going to die in the, in the wilderness, and your children are going to inherit the promised land that I wanted to give to you, but you uh, didn't want to listen to me. Verse 37. Uh, verse 38, I will purge out the rebels from among you as God did and those who transgress against me and I will bring them out of the land where they sojourn but they shall not enter the land of Israel. Then you will know that I am the Lord. And you'll see this phrase, then you'll know that I am the Lord. As for you, O house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, go serve every one of you his idols now and hereafter if you will not listen to me. So he's like, if you want idols, go for it. And we've seen in 2 Corinthians, what agreement has the temple of God with idols? Like, we have this body to represent a holy God, and if God says, I rescued you and I bought you with a price, so glorify me with your body. But if you won't glorify me with your body, go out and serve any other idols. Live exactly how you want to live, how the world's living. And that's what he says here in Ezekiel chapter 20. Go serve the idols if that's what you want. But my, verse 39, but my holy name you shall no more profane with your gifts and your idols. So don't, don't live like the world, he's saying here, and keep offering sacrifices like, oh yeah, we really are serving God. But you live just like the world. That's what he says in Ezekiel, or yeah, Ezekiel 20, verse 39, verse 40. For on my holy mountain, the mountain height of Israel, declares the Lord God. He's talking about Jerusalem here where... He was worshipped for uh, centuries. There all the house of Israel, all of them shall serve me in the land. There I will accept them, and there I will require your contributions and the choices of your gifts, all your sacred offerings. As a pleasing aroma, I will accept you, and I will bring you out from the peoples and gather you out of the countries from where you've been scattered. And I will manifest my holiness among you in the sight of the nations." And you shall know that I am the Lord when I bring you out into the land of Israel, the country that I swore to give to your fathers. Verse 43. And there you shall remember your ways and all your deeds from which you have defiled yourself. So think about how you have defiled yourself and why you went into captivity or scattered among these empires in the first place. And you shall loathe yourselves for all the evils that you have committed. Verse 44. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I deal with you for my name's sake. 
not according to your evil ways, nor according to your corrupt deeds, O house of Israel, declares the Lord God. So when Paul refers to, now let's go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. When Paul writes verse 17, through the inspiration of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit knows everything that's in the Bible. As he writes the Bible, right? He uses holy men to write uh, the Word, but the Holy Spirit is the author, which guarantees that it's inspired, it's without error. And so the Holy Spirit, as Paul's writing this letter to the Corinthians, the Holy Spirit brings up these promises from the Old Testament and these warnings and these expectations that match what, are, what God said in the Old Testament hundreds of years before the Corinthians and are still applicable for us who live 2,000 years after the Corinthians. And he says, I will welcome you as my people if you're distinct from the world. Verse 17. Let's see this uh, in, in, the, in the words of Paul here. Therefore, go out from their midst. Why? Are they to go out from the midst? Because God is with us. He's walking among us. God is our God and we're his people. So we're different from the world because we want God to be here. We want God in us. We want to please him with our lives. So go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing and I will welcome you. So God promises, I will welcome you. Look at the word before, I will welcome you. Then. If you live holy lives as Christians, then God welcomes you. Now, this does not mean that we lose our salvation. This means that we cannot live a life pleasing to God and be a faithful ambassador for Jesus Christ and do what God wants us to do on the earth if we refuse to be holy. That's what it means. And these promises to the Old Testament applied to New Testament church we have to think seriously about how am I living? Am I living, watching, listening to, talking about, spending my time, prioritizing my schedule and my calendar? Is my life really pleasing to God or not? Am I living different from the world? Or if, we, if the world that I work with and I'm in and my neighbor's look at my life, and they talk with me, there is no distinction from my life in the world. That should not happen. Why? Because we're ambassadors, and we're living with a different goal to please, the, to please our Father back in chapter 5. And we, these bodies, from the moment of our salvation, become the temple of the living God, and we cannot live how we want to live anymore. Verse 18. The last promise. I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. So what does holiness have to do with God welcoming us and us enjoying a relationship as father? Now, I'm borrowing this illustration from a man who taught me and mentored me in ministry. But if, you, if we have a, a children's or youth activity here, and we have... Uh, it's supposed to rain for the next couple of days, and we get really muddy and wet, grassy, okay? And there is mud all over your kids' shoes and clothes, um, and even in their hair, on their face. And during this activity, you parents go out, grandparents go out, and you buy a brand new car. And you show up 
with a brand new car and your children forgot to bring a change of clothes to this youth activity and they are covered in mud. Are you going to let them in the car? You're going to get as creative as humanly possible to not get them in your brand new car because they're covered in mud. Why? Are they not your kids? Yeah, yeah, they're your kid. Why aren't they welcome? Because they're not holy. And holiness is expected when you have a new car because you want to keep it as clean and scratch-free as, as long as possible. We understand holiness. So God has a perfectly holy heaven. And he expects his family here on earth to be holy. And he says, I want to welcome you. And I tell you what, you need to be holy. You need to listen to the Holy Spirit that lives inside of you. And walk in the Spirit. And don't walk in the flesh. And you'll be holy. And your sins can be forgiven. And I'll cleanse you from all unrighteousness if you confess your sins. You can be holy. God doesn't say, be holy as I am holy. And all of us are saying, can't do that. I just can't live that way. God does not give us an impossible command. He gives us a difficult command. Because the world looks so attractive. And I was reading C.S. Lewis quotes this morning. He had another really good one. He says, if the whole world is running headlong, the whole world is running, everybody in this crowd is running headlong toward a cliff. And there's one person in the crowd running in the opposite direction. The whole crowd thinks that person is out of his mind. In reality, who's out of their mind? The whole world. Why is the whole world running toward a cliff and entertaining themselves to death? Because they don't know God. They think life is about fun. In a prosperous culture, that's what it's about. In a not prosperous culture, life's about survival. But life's about God and pleasing Him. And it doesn't matter if the whole world is running past us and thinks that we are crazy and insane. We'll follow God, we'll follow His truth, and we'll live countercultural, holy lies because we're this isn't our home we're just ambassadors here we have an embassy grace bible church embassy here and we're hired by the king of kings to live here as representatives not of drake it not of new england we're not new englanders we're heavenites we're from heaven that's where we're going that's where our mail's forwarded to all right that's our real home we are seated in heavenly places. Ephesians talks about our future as in the, in the past because it's that sure. Why? Because God's promises are that sure. And because we have these promises, we want to live holy lives now. We only have this life to live distinct from the world. The next life, which we read in, in Revelation 21 22, holiness isn't a choice, but now it is. And God gets the most glory whenever we look at the world around us and we say, I don't care what the world says and does and how they're entertained and what they spend their time and money on. It does not matter. We're ambassadors for the king here. Time is short and precious. 
And I want God to welcome me. And I want you to have that thought. I want God to welcome me. So I will be distinct from the world. And let's go back before we run out of time to our final thing here. I will be a father to you. And you will be my children. This idea of God, God being a father and Israel or the church being his family is in Exodus 4 and 2 Samuel 7. Uh, and Isaiah 43, and Jeremiah 31, and Hosea 1, and we read it in Revelation 21. See, see the progression here of how uh, impersonal letter A is and how very personal letter D is. It gets more intimate. Where God just is dwelling and walking among us, okay, he's here. That's good. We're glad he's here. But now we being, he's being our God and we're his people, there's there's a connection. And then we want this holy God to welcome us and to allow us into his circle of conversation and fellowship. And not just any fellowship. He's going to welcome us as a father. And we're his sons and daughters? As I interact with unsaved people, I realize they don't get the beauty of Christianity. They don't know what it's like to have a father who is perfect. And this father in verse 18 is the Lord Almighty. He is a sovereign Lord and Father. And he and we're his child. And what does John 1 say? God gives us the right to be called children of God. All of us who call on Jesus' name. And Jesus tells us to call God Father. And this is where all world religions, they do not have a relationship with their God like father and children. And Christianity is different. And this is a secure relationship that we know that we are his children. We know that we have eternal life because he is our father and we're his child. This is where holiness leads to a secure relationship with the Lord Almighty. And then Paul gives us a verse of application, verse 7, and I have a slide for that. Verse 7, or chapter 7, verse 1. Since we have these promises, beloved, you're loved by God, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. And you go back to the Old Testament and see when Jacob gets close to the, the promised land, leaving Laban, he gets rid of all the idols that are in his camp. When Israel goes to worship God and meet with God and Moses meets with God for them, they get rid of all their idols. And whenever you and I get close to God and want to please him, we're examining these physical bodies to see if there's any defilement in them. And he uses two categories here. Defilement of the body, that's external sin, and the spirit, that's internal sin. And we are in this process of cleansing. Look at the end of, it talks about the process of bringing holiness. So that's an ongoing process. Holiness to completion. Holy like God is holy. And how, what's the motivation here? In the fear of God. As my relationship with my kids grow, I enjoy being a friend to them and not just an authority father to them. 
but I still want them to please me if I'm pleasing God. And whenever they don't please God, I should not be pleased either. And I want them to be holy. And I'm showing them as best I can, but uh, probably I'll fall short of this, that God is bringing me uh, to um, holiness, to completion in the fear of God as well. This takes a daily analysis, like a Psalm 139. God, search me and know me and see if there's any wicked way in me. Lead me in the way everlasting. So, do God's promises motivate? Absolutely. So what are they motivating us to do to apply this? So how do we apply it? Let's cleanse ourselves from all speech and action sin. Proud speech, proud action, where we're trying to please ourselves, we're trying to please anyone but God. From 2 Corinthians 5, 9, we make it our aim to please him. If there's, there's one target and anything that you miss the target, it does not matter. Here's our one target as Christians. We're trying to please God. And you can shoot your arrows all over the place, pleasing all kinds of different people and things and all kinds of different idols, but there is one way to please him. That's to be holy. So let's cleanse ourselves. And the Holy Spirit will take this passage of Scripture and say, proud speech and proud actions have to go. This is how the world lives, following their heart and and provoking each other to, and they're running headlong toward this cliff. Proud speech and proud actions, self-esteem is looked at as a good thing. And as Christians, we say, eh, no, going the wrong way. Well, you're insane. Okay, well, I'm not headed toward a cliff. So if you cannot identify anything of proud speech or proud actions in your life in the last week, ask someone close to you. You know what proud people won't do? They won't ask for help. Because they don't need help. I got this. That's proud. Okay? Only humble people ask others, hey, can you help me identify pride in my life? Think about it. And what doesn't happen and should happen in a lot of marriages, in a lot of parenting, in a lot of relationships, and this context here is relationships. And I'll show you that uh, when we're done. Let us cleanse ourselves from all speech and action. And those that you live with, can see and listen to and often are the brunt of our proud speech and our proud actions. We're selfish. We're selfish at home. If we could cover it when we're out and about, we can't cover it all the time. So that's defiling us. It's defiling. We're using our body for ourselves and we have to be cleansed. We have to be holy. We have to ask God for forgiveness. Second, let us cleanse ourselves from all mind and desire sin or mind and heart sin. These are sins that we can't see. Sins like coveting. Sins like lusting. Sins that we really want something that God forbids us to have. And we are going after it whenever we don't have, and it could be these external sins. And we're meditating on how to get away with sin once we perform sin. Internal sin of proud lust and idolatrous desires. So how do, how do we know if we have these? What makes you most angry or most hopeful? If money, losing money, makes you most angry, money may be your God. If expecting a large monetary inheritance makes you most hopeful in life, money might be your God. 
And that's just one way to help you analyze, do I have internal sin that has to be confessed, internal idolatry that I am allowing to grow, and the more I get, the more money I get, the more I'm protecting my money, and no one touches my money, and I'm going to get more of it, and it really is ugly. If God and his glory are not your gods, is not your God, then you need to repent of idolatry because you're using this body, whether it's external or your mind or your heart, you're using it for your own glory and not his. This is what's at stake here because we are holy, to be holy. Let us see. Let us be holy like our holy God is holy. And how do we do this? It says here, verse 7, or chapter 7, verse 1, in the fear of God. We never outgrow fearing God. How can you tell someone fears God? Whenever someone fears God, whenever their sin, whether it's internal or external, is made, they're made aware of it, they are that fast to say, Ugh, I hate that sin. I got to get rid of it. That's someone who, whose life is pleasing to God and who absolutely hates their sin because they fear him. And they know it's not right. They know it's not holy. They know it doesn't please him. And they agree with God so fast. And they are the easiest people to confront because they know they're sinful. They know they struggle internally and externally with sin. And they fear God. This is where we all need to be. Fearing God so much that we are quick to agree with others. If you fear God, look at how the world lives. Do they fear God? <laughs> look at how people behave in the dark when no one's watching. Do they fear God? God's watching you when you do your taxes this next year. Do you fear him? You better be honest. Fearing God is multiple, multiple decisions that we make every day and uh, taking advantage of people dishonest, and all the things that you know displease God, if you fear him, you do not want any part of those things. Finally, what is the context of 6.14 to 7.1? Look at verse 13 of 6.13. In return, I speak as a children, widen your hearts also to us. He's talking about, hey, let let us in your lives, Corinthians. And now look at 7.2. Make room in your hearts for us, for we have wronged no one, we have corrupted no one, we have taken advantage of no one. So what is he talking about holiness and our bodies being the temple? What is the context here? The context of this passage is that we are to complete, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God in the local church where you have a transparent relationship with another believer who's going to help walk with you. That is the context. You can argue with me, but look at 6.13 and 7.2, and that's the best thing I could do to help you to understand why do we need holiness and how do we operate as holy people? We operate this way through transparent local church discipleship on a regular basis. This is what Paul's showing us. This is what the Corinthians needed. This is what Grace Bible Church in 2022 needs. If there is no one in our church that you're transparent with, you're disobeying 
2 Corinthians 6 and 7. How do I know that? Because that's what he writes. Now you can analyze it. You ask God to show you. If I'm, if I'm wrong, you come back and, and, and tell me that. But how can your church family tell if you're serious about being part of God's holy family? Here's my answer. You can, you're transparent enough to grow in holiness. See, if you don't want to be transparent with people at church, I'm wondering, and everyone else who's godly is wondering this, what are you trying to hide? If your children as a parent won't tell you what's wrong, we're wondering, what are you trying to hide? Trying to hide something. And I can help you as your parent. I love you. I will welcome you. I want you to talk to me. I want to walk with you through life. You're not in this by yourself. And as a Christian, when we struggle with defilement of body and mind, and we don't share that with anyone in our church, Paul's going to say, hey, widen your heart to someone. Now, don't come to prayer meeting and say, now I struggle with lust for this person and this person. No, that's not transparent. That's too much information, right? But with one person at coffee or, or, or um, that you know is going to give you help, to help you walk in holiness, say, I really struggle with holiness. Only, only proud people or proud people won't ask for help. Only humble people will ask for help. And we'll do everything we can here at church to build relationships with you, but you've got to be transparent. Um, we all struggle, and God uh, doesn't want us to struggle alone. Let's, uh, we're going to pray, and then we'll sing, uh, take time to be holy. Our Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that we can uh, study and know you, and we can glorify you. We can see your glory, and we can be changed from glory to glory by your spirit. Thank you for using your spirit this morning to challenge us to be holy and to lay aside and to cleanse ourselves from sin, uh, both internal and external. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would not allow us to have any peace and rest until we are, there's nothing between our soul and the Savior, and that we are transparent uh, with someone here at church to help us to grow. In Jesus' name we pray.